Greetings, everyone. As has been mentioned several times, it's good to look out and see so many here this morning, and hopefully you'll come back. Every Sabbath, not just now and then, but every Sabbath, make it a time in which that we can worship together and enjoy the fellowship and the presence of the Lord together. It hasn't started. Uh, the, the red button on the side, uh, Rocky, like mine. There she is. Last week we began a series of sermons on the millennial reign of Christ. In our Sabbath school quarterly a few weeks ago, we studied the subject and we only just touched the surface. And I mentioned then that I would be bringing some sermons that will lead us deeper into the subject. I believe it's important from time to time, brethren, to speak on these subjects. And I'm sorry that those of you who were not here last Sabbath to tie the, the two thoughts together. What I'll say today might be a little hard for you to, to uh, coordinate as far as uh, what I'm getting at and what I said last Sabbath, but we're still glad you're here today. It's good to talk upon subject how that we ought to serve the Lord and how we uh, ought to live for the Lord. But brethren, there comes time when we ought to go into other aspects of His Word. If we don't, we forget. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I was in Tacoma, Washington where I used to pastor the first time we'd been back as far as a visit is concerned. This is a left there in 69. The minister mentioned that there were some people who would like to hear some subjects presented or a sermon on the clean and the unclean. And he was a little bit reluctant to present the sermon because there were some who believed it was all right to eat the unclean. Sometimes I'm a little bit slow in thinking on my feet. I should have told him, if you do not speak on it, the people are going to forget. These subjects is a subject which the church of God has preached for hundreds of years. Long before my time. And I'm getting close to that 80, that sister. <laughs> Not too close yet, but. I'm still in that age as you can find fault with. After I'm 80, you're not supposed to find fault with me. But the millennial reign is, is a subject you don't hear too much spoken about in the church of God today. 
Last Sabbath, we mentioned the aspect of it that there has to be a millennial reign, or there's many scriptures that's pretty hard to harmonize, almost impossible, if there is not. My purpose today, the, the thought of my sermon today is the purpose of the millennium. The purpose of the millennium. There's a scripture in Revelation where it says, God hath made us kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth, not in heaven, as we hear so much about today. There isn't a verse in the Bible where it says, tells us we'll ever go to heaven. But there's many verses that state that we'll inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, not heaven. So if we're going to be kings and priests and reign with Christ, as I will turn to a verse here just very shortly, then there has to be a people to rule over and to teach during this period of time. A priest is a teacher. King is a ruler. We want to find out who they are. Who they are. Turn to Revelation, the 20th chapter. We used this last Sabbath, I believe, but there's a, there's a couple scriptures that I'm going to repeat myself. And it's because it's important. Revelation 20 in the fourth verse. John said, and I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. Those who were worthy, in other words, and, he says, and I saw souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And brethren, before I leave you, I want to speak upon the subject of this mark and so forth. Because I do believe religion is being built upon a foundation of sand that's not going to endure. So therefore, John is emphasizing the importance that we do not worship the way of the beast nor receive his mark in our forehead or in our hands because if we do, we're not going to have that opportunity to reign with Christ. What I want to emphasize today is it says that they reign with Christ a thousand years. No time in history has this ever been. The apostles didn't do it when Christ was here. Christ didn't have a throne. He said, I don't even have as much to lay my head. He didn't have anything. Nowhere to rule from. The apostles didn't do it when he was here. We can't do it today because Christ says, I don't have a throne. 
And we read the verse in Revelation where Christ said, He that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I have overcome and sat down with my Father in His throne. Not my throne, but His. But the overcomer is going to have the opportunity to reign with Christ in His throne when it occurs. So Christ is saying, I don't have a throne at the present time. This has to be in the future tense. In the future tense to be fulfilled. Now we want to find out as to when it's going to begin. In Matthew the 19th chapter. Matthew the 19th chapter, the the disciples was asking a question that you and I ask only in a different manner when we go to interview for a new job. When we go to interview for a new job, we want to know what the benefits are going to be. And so the disciples asking the Lord here what their benefits are going to be. They said, we've, we've given up a lot, Lord. Let's read about it in verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all. Notice that. <laughs> no, we have a song that we sing sometime today. I wish I could remember the name of it. It's, it's, it's in our hymn, no? Where it says, Man, Lord, I've given up everything and and can't think of the name of the song. No, that's not it, Margaret. I walked a lonely road. Close to me, yeah. Follow close to me. And right, right. And what have I? In other words, you ask the questions. I'm so good, Lord. What am I going to receive? Well, Peter here is, is, is stating the same statements. Lord, we've forsaken all and follow thee. What shall we have? What are we going to receive? And Jesus said unto them, and I want you to pay attention to the wording here and the commons. Brethren, commons are for emphasis, dividing the thoughts. Verily I say unto you, comma. Oh, I tell you, if there's one thing my father taught me was punctuations. My father helped me in the reading when I went to, when I went to grade school. He would help me with my reading. And man, I would just read that like a sing song. He says, son, there's a comma there. You pause. There's the dividing of thought. Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me, comma, the faithful, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man, who's the Son of Man? Christ, shall sit in the throne of his glory, the time period, when it's all going to take place, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, 
judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This hasn't taken place. You might say, well, Brother Walker, spiritually speaking, it has. Because when, when the twelve disciples was the leaders in the church, they were judging the twelve tribes of Israel. But brethren, I come back. Christ was not sitting on his throne, though. And brethren, there is a danger when we try to spiritualize everything. I spiritualize some things, yes. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful. There is a young man. Some of you know him. I had the opportunity to lead him to the Lord and I baptized him. And he was a great Bible student. Became a great Bible student. As far as the average student of the Bible was concerned. But the time came brethren when he started spiritualizing everything. There was no message to his message. There was no food or thought of food to consider because everything was spiritual. We need to be careful about spiritualizing. The millennial reign of Christ is a literal reign. Yes, there are three phases to the kingdom. I explained those to you. There is the spiritual reign in which he reigns in our hearts today. As king of our life. There is the millennial reign, a literal reign. There is the eternal kingdom. There are three phases to the kingdom. But during the millennial reign, Christ reigns on the throne of his father David, as we read last Sabbath, the promise that the angel gave to Mary. You will give, have a child, and it shall reign on the throne of his father David. David's throne was not spiritual. David had a literal throne that existed in Jerusalem. He reigned from Jerusalem. And Christ's throne is going to be in Jerusalem. In which he's going to reign over all the earth. But there's another thought I want you to notice here. Ye shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, brethren, you don't judge over a immortal person they are immortal they're serving the Lord always in the way that they are but there's coming a time in which the twelve apostles will judge over the twelve tribes of Israel and we're going to point that out today but I want to point out just one more scripture that I used last Sabbath then we'll go into depth as far as our sermon today is concerned. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. It said in, in Matthew that we just read that when Christ sits on his throne, that he's going to grant the twelve apostles that privilege. 
Notice 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. As it speaks concerning the throne of Christ. 2 Timothy 4. Paul, as he wrote to Timothy, said, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, the living who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. His kingdom. Christ is going to have a kingdom. And he's going to rule as king of kings and lord of lords over the whole earth. The whole earth. And when the thousand years are finished, he's going to turn it over to the Father. 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter. Many of the things I just, of these scriptures I just have to allude to or, or refer to because the subject is so broad in depth that even two sermons will only not entirely cover the subject. After the thousand years, he turns it over to the Father, and he himself becomes subject to the Father, the same as you and I. But here Paul says, Christ is going to judge the world at his appearing and his kingdom. His kingdom. Christ's kingdom is going to be upon this earth. There's going to be some natural people here during that period of time in which he has to rule with a rod of iron, with sternness, in other words, with sternness. Let us notice who they are. We've already referred to one nationality, but I want to take you a little bit more into depth as far as Israel is concerned. Before I go any further, I want to tell you that right now, Israel is not a righteous nation. I'm not saying that. They are not. But they're still God's people. He's going to do a work with them yet. The scripture says he hasn't cast them away. He's punishing them. And they pronounce their own punishment. When they said, let his blood be upon us and our children, they were pronouncing their own judgment. And since that time, they have suffered persecution, scattered in all the world, God is still going to do a work. Romans 11th chapter. Romans 11th chapter. And, and you can begin with the first verse. Even Paul says, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. And this, according to my Bible, and I know it's not inspired, was 56 years after Christ died. 
56 years, approximately. And Paul says, God hasn't cast away his people. Oh, no. Verse 7, Paul says, What then hath Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for? But the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. The election, the chosen. And if we wanted to take this verse and follow it through the scriptures, you will find that it will lead you through the 144,000 who were the first fruits of the gospel. The first fruits of the gospel. He said, Israel did not receive that, they, that which they were seeking for, but the election obtained it, received it. And the rest were blinded. Some people say, well, don't you think they blinded themselves? That's not what the scripture says. Let us notice the next verse. According as it is written, God hath not given him the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. I don't, I don't think I read that right. God hath given them. God hath given them the spirit of slumber. So it was God that blinded them and gave them ears that they would not hear the gospel. Because of the rejection of his son. What happened to him then? Verse 19. If you read on just prior to this. You'll find that the branches were broken off. And the Gentile was grafted in. Into the tree. The olive tree here represents Israel. Or excuse me, uh, the, uh, the, the branches, in other words, the, the root represents Christ. And the olive tree represents Israel, yes. If some of the branches, excuse me, 19. Thou, thou will say then, he's talking to the Gentile. The branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Christ says, well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear, lest you be broken off. Notice now, for if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. I'd like to drop down to the, to the uh, 23rd verse. He says, And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. He's going to graft them in again someday. And I point out to the scriptures when that time will be. God is going to graft them in. And after he says that God is able to graft them in again, in the 26th verse, 
25th verse. He says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until, until, there's a time limit, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. They're blinded in part. What is the part that they're blinded in? Concerning the Messiah. Christ. They believe in God. They believe in God. Those battles that Israel fought. In 67 and. What is the other year? 73. They acknowledge that God gave them the victory. But they will never acknowledge Christ. They're blinded in part. As far as Christ is concerned, God, Christ is the gulf in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. There's a gulf between the Gentile and the Jew. We cannot worship the way they worship and they can't worship the way we do. There's a gulf between us, which is Christianity. They're blinded in part. Until the time of the Gentiles be up. And brethren, the Gentile can be saved until Christ comes. At least, at least just prior, there's the question of the seven last plagues. If the seven last plagues, and I still lean that they are literal and still in the future, I lean that away. But I don't drive my stakes in prophecy too deep. There's a coming a time in which the Gentile will not acknowledge and will not be converted if that is true. I said if. Israel is blinded until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And verse 26 says, And so all Israel shall be saved. This means they're going to be given immortality? No. The scripture says, He that believeth on the Son of Man shall be saved. Shall be saved. Today, when you and I accept the Lord and ask forgiveness of our sins and are baptized, we are saved. But we're not given immortality. And so Israel, when they see the Christ coming in the clouds of heaven, and I'll turn to scriptures yet that will make it even more plainer yet. When they see him coming in the clouds of heaven, they will say, is this the man that we crucified? When they see the nails in his hands and in his feet, they will weep and they will mourn. Turn to Isaiah or Zechariah 12 and let us see if what I've said is true. Zechariah 12. You begin... Well, in, in the, in the, well, to save time, let's begin with verse 9. 
And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. It's talking about the battle of Armageddon. And I will pour, verse 10, and I will pour up on the house of David and inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. What does he give them the spirit of grace and of supplication? Because they don't have it now. That's what Israel's not a righteous nation. I'm not indicating that. I'm just indicating that God has a work yet to perform. God said, my ways are not your ways. We have to accept the ways of God and not what we think the way he ought to do it. I will pour upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning. A revival, a change of life, a, 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 a feeling of guilt, of sin that they committed against the Son of God. How, we, how could we have done it? They will, without a doubt, say, a great mourning in Jerusalem. Oh, they will see what they've done. They will see the transgression that they transgress against him. And they will regret it. And so they will accept him as the Savior of, for their sins. But not immortality yet. Not immortality yet. As we just read, all Israel shall be saved. But sorry to say, just as it is today, we see people come to the altar as it were. They will weep and they will mourn for their sins. They will accept the Lord. They will be baptized. And seemingly their enthusiasm is strong. But as the weeks, weeks and the months, a few years go by, We don't see them in church no more. And so that's the way it's going to be. When we, and I read it to you. Well, let, let's go to Zechariah, just to your left. Zechariah. I read it last week. I'll read it today along with a verse that I want to read for today. And again, brethren, I'm going to go over time just a little bit. If you have to leave, you're not going to embarrass me. But I do want to complete it today. And there are many things that I would like to say. No, it's to the right, isn't it? I'm sorry. Zechariah, the 14th chapter. And the... Well, the 16th verse, 
speaks those who are left of the nations. Those that have come against Jerusalem. In the first verse, you'll, it leads you into the battle of Armageddon again. And it speaks about the coming of the Lord. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. And in verse 9, it says he's going to be king over all the earth. Then in verse 16, it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of lords, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whosoever will not go up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of lords, even upon them shall be no rain, no blessing. Oh yes, there'll come a time when the new will wear off and their carnal nature, their, 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 their carnal nature will take over again. And they will not go up to listen to the words of the law, of, of, the, of the Lord. I'm, I'm just trying to say it's God is not going to make it any easier for them and for us. Satan is bound, yes, but they have their nature to deal with. They have their nature to deal with. No, they don't have it any easier than you and I. But when someone hears it for the first time, you say, you mean to say that God's going to make it easier for them than for us? Let's go to Ezekiel, the 36th chapter. We're still dealing with Israel. Ezekiel 36. Here's a great prophetical chapter that most all believe is still in the future. Goes into the 30, 37th chapter. So when you have time, read it all. Beginning with the 24th verse. God is speaking to Israel. He says, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. And that's what he has done and still doing. In 1948, when they got their land back and became a nation, the Jews began to flow back to Israel, back to their homeland. God said he would do that. That's another subject. God prophesied that he give them their homeland back to them. And here he says, I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. What is he going to do after that? Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. And a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. God has not done that yet. But he will. God has not done it. I'm just simply implying who are the natural people that we're going to rule over. Israel is going to be one of them that we will rule over during this period of time. There will also be some Gentiles there. 
you will say, well, Brother Walker, who are they? Okay, I just read in Zechariah 14, verse 16, where it says, those which are left of the nations. Who are they? Who of the Gentiles will be there? Isaiah, the 66th chapter. Isaiah, the 66th chapter. And it may surprise you as to who they are. Isaiah, the 66th chapter. Verse 15 speaks about the coming of the Lord. For the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots of whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. I told you last Sabbath, I believe it was, that if you think the wicked are going to have an easy time in that fire, you're mistaken. Their death is not going to be instantaneous. They are going to suffer. And I wish, brethren, if you're not serving the Lord this morning as you ought to be serving Him, that I could put fear into your life. Fear into your life. The Bible says, fear God. And I believe that. Fear of my father kept me doing many things that I would like to have done or wanted to do. But I knew the punishment that was going to await me. And I spoke on the fear of the Lord several Sabbaths ago. The Lord is coming with vengeance on the wicked. Verse 17 tells us who he takes vengeance on. Those who disobey and who eat swine's flesh and so forth. Let us drop down to, to uh, uh, verse 19. He says, And I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape of them unto the nations to Tyrish, Paul and love that draw the bow to Tubal and Javan to the isles afar off. Now notice now he says who they are. That have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. As as uh, bewildering as it might seem, when Jesus comes, there will be those who have never heard of him. Who have never heard of him. He says, they haven't seen my glory, nor heard of my fame. And brethren, if you know there is a God today, this certainly does not include you. You might know there's a God, but serving Him in the wrong way. You'll still be lost. But these people don't even have, they have not even heard of God, his, about His glory and His fame. 
I admit that this is the only verse that I know that speaks of the Gentile. There will be the millennial reign. But if verse 15 speaks about the coming of the Lord and his vengeance, then this has to be during the millennial reign. And those that escape, he's going to send to the isles afar off and they will teach the ways of the Lord. They will teach about the fame and the glory of God. And I certainly want to be a part of that, don't you? I have a couple more references that I would like to draw to your attention. There's many more. Let's go back to Revelation, the 20th chapter. And there is something there that I want you to notice. First of all, beginning with verse 7. Says, and when the thousand years are finished, Satan shall be loosed, shall be loosed out of his prison, out of the grave, in other words. When you read the book of Job, many times he refers to the grave as the pit. Solomon says the pit or the grave has never been full. It's a boundless hole in the, in the ground. No bottom is seen. Cannot fill it up. Dead are still being put into it. But the first thing Satan endeavors to do when he's turned loose is to go out into the world and deceive them. Now it doesn't say how long before the end of the millennium. It just says when the thousand years are expired, it seems to indicate a very short time. He goes out and he deceives them and he, he brings those people with one desire again. One, he thinks this is my last, uh, the, another opportunity to overcome the Lord. And so he comes against him. But in verse 9 you'll find that fire comes down from God out of heaven and devours them. What I want you to notice is found in verse 12. He said, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And brethren, I, I do believe it's referring to the Word of God. The books were opened. This is how we're going to be judged. What's written in here. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. In other words, the Bible. The scripture says, by the words will be judged, and by the words will be condemned. But what I want you to notice is the book of life. For you and me to be saved today and receive immortality or eternal life, where must our names be written today? In the book of life. So when Jesus comes, all of those that are written in the book, now brother, don't misunderstand me. I don't think it's a literal book. 
Nevertheless, that's what the Bible says. Those who are written in the book of life will receive immortality. So the book is clean. There's no names written there. After all those that have received immortality, that are, names are written there. But here at the end of the millennium, the book of life is opened again. Which lends support that during the millennial reign, names again are written in the book of life. Those who live faithfully, those who serve the Lord faithfully, are written in the book of life. And at the end, the book is open. It is open again. And so, brethren, it seems to me very clear that there will be a purpose of the millennial reign. The work of the Lord continues on. Continues on. He will be here directing everything and will have the opportunity and the privilege of reigning with Him. We want to be ready today. My closing text in the 21st chapter. After it's all over with, He said, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is what I want us to notice. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Brethren, the Father, the Creator, will come and dwell with us. We're not going to go to heaven, but He's going to come and dwell with us. A privilege that you will want to be a part of when that time comes. I hope that we will live and serve the Lord, that we'll be able to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom. God bless you is my prayer.